Welcome back to the Talking Thomas podcast, your podcast for all things Thomas and Friends related, Shining Time Station, the Railway Series, etc. I'm Orion. And I'm Tony. And today we will be diving into the last of the one-hour family specials for Shining Time Station, released in 1995. And this is Queen for a Day. Um, So this was the last episode of Shining Time Station... um, you really proper um, before it was turned into Mr. Conductor's Thomas Tales as a new format um, later the the following year, and then um, and then no more for Shining Time Station until Thomas and the Magic Railroad. So, um, but this is this is a, a nice nice special, and we're excited to to dive into it and uh, you know take one last look at these family specials. So, if you have that pulled up, you can go ahead and press. Play now. I I know I said during our uh, during our commentary of the last one hour special one of the family that that it would have been a proper send off, but even this one and I'll go more in depth throughout the episode. This one really does feel like a nice send off in in some ways, uh, as really this whole series of one hour specials felt like a nice send off for the show and because it was the last time that we would see it in this format. I, I think uh, despite the issues with the concept of Shining Time Station in general, especially the one-hour specials, it there's something about it that just works, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is a, this opening here is, is nicely cinematic as opposed to um, particularly one of the family really felt more like just an extended uh, episode of Shining Time Station. It was, um, a bit more, a bit more stage bound um, than than um, uh, second chances or once upon a time. So uh, this is seems to be more of a return to the the broader scope of the first two specials. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and it's interesting. I I've always felt that there's something very different about this special. I mean, of course, each of the specials is different in their own way, but this special in particular, because it starts off without any of the characters we're used to seeing. In fact, we don't see any of our main characters for a good two or three minutes into the episode. We spend the first two, three minutes with this young English kid and his grandmother, whose identities will be revealed soon, of course, but, uh, you know, it's it's just it was an it's a fascinating way to start off the final episode. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it was an interesting choice, and again, that it's something that's a bit more cinematic than just the standard uh, opening of a of a regular Shining Time Station episode. Right. In terms of us having multiple viewpoints and and you know multiple characters that we're that we're trying to follow here. Right. More like an actual movie, which, as, as we've said in all of these commentaries so far, this really serves, clearly served as the proving ground for, for Brit writing Magic Railroad. Oh, definitely. Even though, even though she didn't write these, but obviously had quite a hand in them. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, because Brit was overseeing not only Thomas at this time, but Shining Time as well, of course. I'm sure that she had quite a bit of say in what went on with the series as a whole, and she had some definite ideas of where she wanted the series to go. So I I have no doubt that the switch over to one-hour specials was probably, if not Brit's idea, then definitely an idea that she was very supportive of. I mean, uh, that that much at least is evident because they got made. (laughs) So, yeah. I always like these two, Biff and Bull. I thought that they, they're interesting villains for just this one episode um, with uh, Richard McMillan and Ron Gabriel were interesting guest stars uh, as, as the uh, quote-unquote villains for the episode. Uh, not quite proto-PT Boomer, of course, uh, because they were a lot less nefarious than he allegedly was, but uh, still pretty good human villains i think it was some of the best human villains we've seen in the series absolutely i would definitely agree and you're and you're right i mean slight similarity to pt boomer but but just not quite not quite there yet now of course 
this scene premieres our big guest star for uh, the episode because each of these one-hour specials did have a major guest star. And uh, this, this episode's guest star is Jeanette Charles playing the Queen. And although it's not explicitly stated, if you're at all familiar with the royal family, it is definitely Queen Elizabeth II. The current, at the time of filming and recording of this podcast, uh, Queen of England. And what a you know what a nice thing that these that the Heritage Railroad that they were able to film these at um, you know got some filming uh, activities going on on their line that they wouldn't normally have had. It's just worked out that Shining Time Station needed to film there, and uh, it's you know kind of a fun a fun thing for a, for a Heritage Railroad to be able to have that opportunity. Yeah, the South Simcoe Railway uh, was really good to Shining Time Station throughout the entirety of. Uh, this uh, this set of specials. It's uh, yeah. It they they did a really good job, and you know there was a nice partnership there. And I know that they used South Simcoe a few other times throughout the series, but they they sure gave South Simcoe a lot of exposure in these four uh, specials. It's interesting. There is that Schemer's outfit is uh, the least loud of probably all of the people in that room at that time. That is interesting, isn't it? Other, and, other than his shoes, perhaps. But uh, but Jenny and Midge certainly had incredibly vibrant outfits. And uh, Stacy, as always, has her bright red. You talk about costumes. That is an interesting costume that Dee Dee's wearing. They, they really... Obviously, they flesh out everything in these specials, but they really spend a lot of time in the jukebox throughout these specials. I'm finding more and more because, you know, we had, uh, you know, scenes with Mr. Conductor and his sister in the last two. And then in this one, we, you know, have entire scenes in the jukebox where they're not building up to playing music or anything. They're just in the jukebox for a little bit. Which really, I mean, these specials, while the elements of Shining Time survived into uh, Mr. Conductor's Thomas Tales, as well as Thomas and the Magic Railroad, um, you know, in bits and pieces, the Jukebox Puppet Band, this really was their send-off. They never got anything else. So um, so that's that's interesting uh, that they got so much screen time in these specials. Yeah. You know, it uh, it would have been something if the Jukebox Puppet Band would have appeared in Thomas and the Magic Railroad. I don't, I can't imagine what that would have been like, but uh, thankfully that was never a thought. <laughs> Not good as what. <laughs> no disrespect to, uh, uh, to Flexitune or Craig Marin, Olga Marin, any of the puppeteers, uh, but I just not a style that would have worked. I think quite uh, as charmingly for the big screen as it does on the small screen on PBS. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Um, I, I do like this scene here with um, where, where Midge basically invites this woman who they all are completely somehow unaware that is the queen how she just casually invites her to stay in Ginny's house for as long as it takes for her train to get sorted out. (laughs) And this little ditty here with uh, Mr. Conductor on the bite, the piece of music that plays, it plays a couple of times throughout the episode as the mystery surrounding the queen uh, develops. Um, and it's just really, I really like that piece of music. I like all the music in Shining the Time Station, of course, but uh, the specials in general have some really great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like that Mr. Conductor um, is kind of just all around in these specials, um, you know, particularly so far in this one on, on his bicycle. And then in the last one, um, uh, you know, just kind of all over the place, always 
popping in and out. Um, it, it's nice. I mean, I know normally in the in the show itself, he would just kind of pop in and out of the various rooms. But it's nice that he is kind of used as our guide to go throughout the different locales that we see in these uh, the broader canvas of these specials. Yeah. So now, of course, here we meet our second guest star, and I, I kind of go back and forth on whether I consider this this kid to be a special guest because I don't know that he's a well known actor. I certainly haven't seen him in much else aside from this. Uh, but this is Andrew Sardella playing Mickey or Prince Mickey or Michael or whatever you want to call him. I just call him Prince Mickey. But going back to what you were saying earlier, Schemer's attire is very much toned down compared to what it normally is, which is funny that for the final episode of the series, they toned down uh, Schemer's clothing. I like his little hop down the stairs there. (laughs) A nice piece of business. Oh, yes. So, Brian O'Connor, I think I've said it before in a few episodes, but Brian O'Connor is a comedy goldmine. Simply because of that reaction. The reaction, you know, he looks in and says, oh, great, a bag full of jewels. And then, like, there's a nice long beat and I was like, a bag full of jewels, I'm rich. It's, it's just, some of, uh, a lot of his reactions, a lot of Steamer in general is so hilarious, and they, they really struck gold with Brian O'Connor. It's no, it, it's no surprise. I mean, I know we've commented before how in later seasons, Shining Time kind of became the Mr. Conductor and Steamer show, but it kind of with good reason, because of the cast, no disrespect to any of the other cast, but I would say Brian O'Connor Aside from the two actors to play Mr. Conductor and, of course, Dee Dee Khan, Brian O'Connor was probably the best actor of the group. Absolutely. I, I would 100% agree. Um, and he, again, is, is kind of another example of the kind of uh, more over-the-top style that just would not have meshed well for the big screen for, for Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Um, so this is nice. This again kind of serves as his nice little send off. Yep. And and it is quite a send up, uh, send off rather, as we will see throughout the episode. Now this is interesting um, because I know it's not the first time that we've seen it, but. This appears to be one of the few times throughout the series that we see the kids actually having to do some work around the station. Normally, they're just hanging out there. I know that in Stacy Cleans Up and I want to say Double Trouble, they had to do some cleaning. But for the most part, they're just sort of hanging out. And it, it's always interesting to see these that the, these kids actually that, that Stacy actually gives these kids something to do throughout the episode at times. True. And this is a nice, nice song. I like the that little transition there out of Dee Dee's uh, drum set into the the wider shot of the band. That's a great shot. And I love this song. It's called The Lovely Ohio. And I I really wish that the Flexitunes or someone would have made some of this music available as like a cassette or CD. And I know that there's like a VHS of some of the Jude Flats band playing, but like a CD of some of this music would be great. Because uh, the music, especially in this one, is just great. I agree. We've hardly seen Billy in this one at all so far. Oh, well, actually, there is a good reason for that. Um, I don't think I mentioned it in the... I, I don't think I mentioned it when we did our commentary of 
one of the family, but we will not see Billy at all because uh, one of the family was actually Billy's last appearance. Billy does not appear at all in Queen for a Day. Hmm. Which I found... I, got, I, for, I forgot about that. <laughs> which I've always found very odd because um, it, if you back to during the opening credits, it credits both Ari Magder and... Um, Tom Jackson for this episode, uh, but Ari Madger left two episodes previous, and Tom Jackson left the episode before. So it's interesting that they uh, are both credited, and Bucky Hill is still credited as a supporting character. Where uh, to, by by rights he should have been in the opening sequence because he is a main character as of two episodes ago. Yeah, a lot of times that's a contractual uh, negotiation to appear in the credits, even if you're not in the episode. Um, and especially for these, they may just not have changed the the opening credits for the remaining two episodes. So, I mean, that would make sense. I mean, they already did a lot of changes to the credits in general for these just for four episodes. And so, you know, I, I, I do find it understandable that they wouldn't want to change it even more after already making such huge changes to it. I mean, they had to do all the green screening with George Carlin popping in and, uh, yeah. Now, if this sequence doesn't give you a hint as to who the special visitor and who and and what to, and what Thomas story Mr. Conductor is about to tell, then uh, yeah, yes, very very subtle. <laughs> yeah, Shining Temptation, known for its subtlety. And here we are into Thomas meets the Queen, just. I mean, what what can be said? It's a great episode. It is a fantastic episode. Uh, one we won't get to in our regular Thomas commentaries for quite a while, unfortunately. Uh, we have yet to do, well, even, I don't think we've even started season three yet. We will soon, of course. Uh, but we have yet to start season three. Um, and of course, this is in the back half of season four. Uh, which is interesting, and I'll dive more into it when we get to season four. But season four is kind of after the Starlowy based episodes. Um, season four is kind of the season of orphaned episodes. Um, but no, this is a good episode in general. I, I do enjoy uh, Thomas Meets the Queen. Now, one of our more recent commentaries was for Gordon the Big Engine, and so really we've We've just recently uh, done a, a review of the uh, the story that this episode is based on. So, I and I think you know both are decent stories in general, but I I quite enjoy I quite enjoy the adaptation. I, I think it it feels bigger in the TV series and maybe it's because of the visuals and the music and the narration, but uh, I don't know. There's just something about the episode that I like more than the railway series story. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this, um, we're about to get to, uh, like I said, we'll talk about this more in detail when we get to it, but it'll be a while. Um, I, I just love, and it always makes me laugh the way that the, uh, the little model (laughs) falls onto the tarp. Um, It's just very funny. That's beautiful. It, it it is a beautiful sequence, and there's something nice about this episode too. In, in the gray, like the rainy grayness of it, um, is quite nice. And it's not something that we necessarily got that that wasn't very well done, um, or not done very much in uh, really in prior seasons, other than perhaps in Percy's Promise in season three, um, a little bit, and then in, you know storms we had had but not just kind of a more wet, rainy feeling. Um, but we did get that, uh, that vibe in season four in both this and also in um, uh, Special Funnel. Yes. 
Um, so I really, really like that. And this is one of my favorite uh, themes from from the series. This, uh, I don't know what you call it, the triumphant theme, I think. Right. Um, but just love, love this theme. And coming up here, we have a great um, Michael Donald and Junior Campbell did a nice you know, Thomas-fied <laughs> rendition of Zadok the Priest, the coronation anthem. And I always loved that when I was a kid and still love it. It's one of my favorite pieces of music from the series. It is a beautiful piece of music. And this, this entire, the entire episode is fantastic. But this sequence, in, this sequence here with the actual model of the queen. Um, and personally, I think that it is the best representation of Queen Elizabeth that we've had. I mean, I'm, you know, um, uh, but you know, between this and the book, uh, it's it's great. I mean, obviously, it, her role is no different than it is in the book, but it's still I. Um, and we talked about it in our Gordon, the Big Engine review, but I do like how at the end of this Thomas story, they changed the wording around a little bit to encompass all of the engines, whereas in the book it was just Thomas, Edward, and Gordon who felt proud, whereas here it's. Uh, no engines ever felt prouder than those on the fat controllers railway. That was a really nice, uh, the, the changes that they made, at least in this episode for the TV series work really well. And they really worked to its <clears throat> really worked to its benefit. And as you said, there's, uh, we, we could go on about that, about that story for, for a, a, quite a while. And I'm sure we will when we get around to it in season four, but uh, it's, it's so great. Sir Topham Hatt's railway, to be more specific. That's right, because it, that's right, because it's um, Shining Temptation, so it's Sir Topham Hatt. That's right. We're back with our two villains. Um, it's nice that they're using this this little pump car here. <laughs> Mr. Conductor's line right here is one of my favorites. And I wish that I, I don't play cards all that much, but if I did, I wish that I could have an opportunity to say that line. Well, it seems we've been dealt a pair of knaves to go along with our queen. It is. It's a, it's a nice, clever piece of dialogue. This set has always been interesting, the clubhouse set. This is the only time we ever see it. And, of course, it's set inside of a caboose, which... Uh... And that would have been fun if, it, if they had used that for the actual TV series. Um, but very often, the plots were more focused on Mr. Conductor, Schemer, or things going on with the station or with the adults. And less just adventures of the children. And I suppose it's just because there wasn't really time for the children to be away from the main plot of everything else. So to be in a clubhouse um, as much other than just standing and then talking to Mr. Conductor. So it's very weird like the way that he picks up Mr. Conductor. It's a, just a, like, it's bizarre. Well, yeah. I mean, he, he does think that Mr. Conductor is a doll or something like that. Um, I, there's just something off-putting like, about him being picked up like that uh, because, I mean, you know, it's just weird. No, I, I agree. And, and we know, of course, we because we've seen over, um, well, by the time this was 95, so we've seen over the last six or seven years that Mr. Conductor is a living being. For, but for this random kid from England to see this 18-year-old, uh, sorry, 18-inch tall uh, conductor, I mean, what else is he supposed to think? <laughs> uh, absolutely. Which, uh, really, the way that he pitched up Mr. Tunter, though, kind of reminds me of uh, not entirely similar, but uh, kind of reminds me of the Bendoms, uh, the Shining Time Station Bendoms. That were made. I used to have a few of those, uh, and one of them was Mr. Conductor. Now, of course, it was modeled after Ringo's Mr. Conductor because it came out in like 1990, but you know, it just kind of gave me that same feel. 
Nice to see JB King here in our last episode as well. It is. Yeah, we, we get pretty much everybody. I mean, of course, Mary Flopdinger bowed out in uh, Once Upon a Time, and Barton Winslow doesn't even appear in any of these. But uh, And then Billy yeah, left in the last episode there. Right. But So here we get basically everybody else, though. Uh, well, except Steamy. Steamy also uh, left the series after One of the Family. I love this subplot with J.B. King and the Queen. It's 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 such an um, an an interesting subplot. I especially the way Jeanette Charles is. Oh, Mister King, we like the sound of that name. And of course. I mean, a big part of the humor of this episode is that literally nobody in Shining Time Station knows who this woman is, even though she is the Queen of England. Uh, J.B. King gets close a couple of times with certain lines of dialogue, but uh, it, it apparently he he doesn't know she's the Queen, but he can see that she is a, a lady of... Um, Distinct, at least. I love this bit. This this bit that comes up uh, throughout the episode with Dee Dee reading a detective novel was funny as well. <laughs> Use Dee Dee a lot um, in these specials. I think of the entire band, she gets the most screen time throughout these specials. I mean, obviously the band are together in all of their scenes, but it does focus more on Dee Dee than any other character. This is also a nice cover of uh, green sleeves, and it's a um, it's one of several mashups. Uh, Shining Time Station occasionally does mashups, especially in these episodes. Uh, it's a mashup of green sleeves and Scarborough Fair, which uh, two very good songs, and uh, this this rendition is quite uh, quite pretty. It is, and it's a. You know, these these were obviously all filmed right around the same time. You know, if they were filmed, um, you know, sometime where it was nice weather, so in the summer, right, um, of uh, uh, ninety five or um, spring of ninety five, I would assume. Um, but uh, it's a shame that maybe that they didn't send off Shining Time Station with a with another Christmas special because uh, I think that would have been nice. And this actually aired only a week before Christmas in 95, and it aired in December 18th. But I think it would have been a, a, uh, just a, a nicer send-off, I think, for Shining Time Station, just to end um, end with a, a Christmas special. You know, I hadn't really thought about that before, but now that you mention it, that is a very good point, uh, because the one Christmas special that they did, Tis a Gift, was a beautiful ending to season one, um, or a beautiful addition to season one, really. But, um, but yeah, that would have been a really nice send off. So now it's interesting. Uh, the, the, one of the bits, the, um, monument that JB King and the queen were walking past that he pointed out to her is a Tottenham war memorial. Of course, these were all filmed. Uh, most of the outdoor scenes were filmed by and around Tottenham Pond, which is near their favorite South Simcoe Railway. And uh, some of the other outdoor scenes were filmed at the uh, Caledon Trailway Path, which r- runs parallel to the tracks. So, uh, but yeah, I found it interesting that that, uh, 
that one monument is a war memorial. Hmm. We should point out now that Schemer's outfit is certainly uh, back to normal. It is. uh, In terms of being loud once again, especially the pants. (laughs) Oh, those pants. You know, as much as I love uh, the Queen and Prince Mickey throughout the episode, these two, uh, Biff and Bull, they're really great as well. Hidden physical with steamer over here. <laughs> Steamer gets physical with a few people throughout these because, you know, there was um, in, you know, in this one where the thieves are trying to grab the suitcase from him. And then, you know, two episodes earlier, back in Second Chances, once he had gained some courage, he almost got into a brawl with Coach Sludgebolt. So, yeah. But, um True. So, yeah. It's interesting that uh, Schemer and Stacey kind of match here, too. It is, isn't it? I, th- I don't think that's happened since, uh, and really it, it hasn't happened, I'd say. Um, I think the closest they ever came to matching was in the Valentine's episode, He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not. Uh, but even then, their clothing wasn't that similar. Whereas here, it kind of is incredibly similar. Technically, they dress up as each other, and Becky makes a wish. Well, yes. <laughs> and one of the one of my favorite scenes of the series. We will have to do Becky makes a wish at some point because that really was a great episode. There's so many scenes of Mr. Conductor in this episode just sitting or standing and making a face. <laughs> he doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue in this episode. No, which is a stark contrast to the rest of not only the specials in general, but the series as a whole, in that he's more, in this episode, it seems he's more there to react to the crazy goings on, whereas occasionally his magic or a byproduct of his magic leads to crazy things going on. Here, he's just kind of a silent observer of things that, are happening that are not technically the fault of his magic. We spend a lot of time away from the station, and I know that that's true of all of the one-hour specials, but it feels like in this episode, we spend more time out outside of the station than we ever have. You may be right. Well, we're we're away from the station quite a bit in Second Chances as well. That's very true. That's very true. We spent a lot of time in matches of Signal Box in that special and at the baseball field. I love Steamer's outfit here. (laughs) It it reminds me, especially with the hair, it it puts me in mind of sort of, I want to say Austin Powers maybe? I'd say it's more Buddy Holly rather than with the glasses. Yeah, that or like a almost like a Peter Sellers kind of look. Uh, Peter Sellers in uh, something like Casino Royale, something like that. Oh, that's right, Peter Sellers. Oh, yes, Peter Sellers. This bit, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, very, very funny and nice. I mean, nice to have something else go on in the jukebox with one of the puppets other than them just 
talking or singing or moving or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Some sort of actual effect is nice. It is. And that, that, it's one of the few times that something inside the jukebox affects the outside world. And it's, it's beautiful. Once again, away from the station. <laughs> yes, and, and away from any of the main cast. We spend a lot of time not only away from the station, but away from our main cast, because a good chunk of this episode is taken up with um, the thieves, Biff and Bull. Now, see, when I was younger, I didn't get at all what they were doing, but I, you know, I was not the brightest of kids, let's say. Um, but, you know, it, it's pretty clear now that they're making a stink bomb, especially with what happens later in the episode. Mr. Conductor doing jumping jazz was rather cute. <laughs> After spending much of the episode in the same position. You know, it's it's a little unfortunate that um, that that it wasn't until the final episode that we got a Thomas story that really fit the theme of of the Shining Time episode, but only the first one did, because then we have special attraction which uh, I'm I'm not. It's a little it's a little shoehorned. <laughs> a little, you know. I I guess. I mean, I'm not complaining. It's these. I mean, they're still great to have in these episodes. So, you know, no no complaints to have these Thomas episodes in here from the best Thomas season. So, um, and this is and this is a great episode. So, oh no, no, I'm I'm not complaining at all either. I just you know thought it was interesting because I'm I'm going to attempt to, pardon me, I'm going to attempt to try to connect the episode. Uh, as, as I've done for most of these specials when we've had an episode that doesn't fit, I, I think the point of having this episode is um, Kit's feeling left out and Becky's Becky feels bad because Kit feels left out and Mr. Conductor is telling her a story about a time that Toby got left out and yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> so, and really, I mean, what's interesting about this episode in particular, and again, we'll talk about it when we get to the commentary, but, but I never, and I, I'm sure most people don't really think of this episode in their head as, as that being the plot of the episode. I would, I think of this as the Bullstorm episode, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that really takes up more of the, the plot. They're two completely unrelated plots um, because they were two Christopher Audrey stories that were pushed together into one episode. But the Bolstrode segment is much more memorable than anything with Toby. It is. Um, and I think that this is one of the cases, much like in the early seasons, I think this is one of the cases where it really works because much as I love Christopher Audrey's writing, um, I, I really couldn't see um toby's seaside holiday being an episode in its own right and the bullstrode uh, the story bullstrode uh, also they pretty much adapt it with half an episode to go or a little more than half an episode to go adapt it pretty well and so i i think it's a i think it was a good idea to sort of try to mesh the two together even though you know they're not entirely related other than coming out of the same book but I don't know. I just like the way that these two were mashed together. No, yeah, I agree. It, it, it is interesting because there's really no attempt. Or, or there's a very thin attempt to connect them. So it doesn't really try to try too hard 
to find a way to connect them, but it also doesn't just slam them together in a way that doesn't make any sense. Um, much like uh, you know, Gordon's whistle and Henry's sneeze, those are just pushed together really for absolutely no reason. Um, and, and it's okay, but they don't really connect in any way because literally they go to sleep and then the next and then the next morning is a whole different thing that doesn't relate to the previous. At least with this, it kind of, it connects in the middle of the episode and then reconnects at the end of the episode. So it's a bit more organic. That it is, yeah. Now what's interesting um, is, of course, this is Bullstrode's one and so far only appearance in the show. And I say that, but that's not necessarily true because... Bullstrow does appear in the background quite a bit throughout season, the rest of season four and a lot of season five Bullstrode, whenever they go past the coastal line, uh, Bullstrode can be seen sitting there on uh, washed up on the shore. But uh, interesting choice of story. Uh, You know, if they, if if they had to pick a story, this was a good one to go with. Of course, you know, it's from season four, so any of the stories were good. Yeah, it's just a shame that that was the last. I wish that that special attraction had been picked as the first episode in this, the first Thomas segment for this Shining Time episode, and Thomas Meets the Queen would have been picked as the second, because Thomas Meets the Queen would have been a really nice ending episode for the series of Shining Time. It would have. I mean, I would. Uh, they might have needed to change some stuff around a little bit, but you know, it would have made sense. I think because a lot of people, even though they don't find out until the very end, a lot of people are starting to suspect that there's more to this old English lady than they think. And so having, uh, and of course, Mister Conductor is known from the very beginning. And so if they had changed around the stories a little bit. Having Mr. Conductor tell that specific story, Thomas Meets the Queen, to Becky later in the episode would be sort of his, and even though it is done this way in the episode with Becky and Kara, it would have been his subtle way of hinting at, hey, what does this remind you of? (laughs) Now, this is a nice bit here with... um, two of the supporting characters, because again, even though Kit is technically a main character for these specials, he's billed as a supporting character. Um, And it's interesting that they don't have this scene between Kit and Billy, but I guess they sort of had similar scenes to this throughout Second Chances. Uh, But it is nice to see Kit interacting with someone other than Billy or Becky. And, and again, some of J.B. King's lines here make you almost think that he is aware, but not he, he just misses it. He's he uh, until someone actually figures it out, he comes the closest of anyone, I think, aside from Mr. Conductor, who's known all along, of course. How'd you like that hat? On, on Looks Jamie like a watermelon. No, I agree. I like uh, J.B. King's line. Uh, pos- she something about her is positively regal, uh, as a nice little wink. Now it's an interesting twist here because normally Ginny's the one that has a dog, but in this one, Midge has one that just happens to be a corgi, which is of course the Queen's favorite dog. Yeah, that's a nice, nice touch. Oh, the pennies dropping for Midge. Yep, she's got it.
the music is nice here too, where it keeps almost completing the melody of pomp and circumstance and then going back into something else and then almost completing it and then falling back into something else. Right. <clears throat> nice little motif. It is. Apparently there's no trains to run. and <laughs> There's no work to be done on this railroad. Well, 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 no, they did their work earlier, you know, because they were, you know, cleaning and stuff, uh, d- doing chores and such. So, no, they, they've just stopped all trains for this talent show. <laughs> it's, it's fine. I love how literally everybody in the audience is enthralled by this, except the queen who is going to sleep. That is, it's very funny, very, very clever idea. And it was a, there was a cute moment that we missed there uh, just a minute ago where, um, the uh, the shorter of the two thieves pulls up his eye patch, and he's not even missing an eye. <laughs> nice little bit of humor there. Now, this has always been one of my favorite scenes in this entire episode. This, I I saw this episode when it first came out. I was like three or four years old at the time, so obviously I don't remember my initial viewing of it. But I watched this. It, 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 my parents taped it for me. And so I've seen it many times throughout the episode, uh, throughout the years, rather. This is one of my favorite scenes, this scene with the barbershop quartet and Steamer just making a total shambles of their performance. The barbershop trio, to be more. Trio plus Steamer. (laughs) Trio plus Steamer. It's just all of the physical comedy and, you know, that that's the other thing uh, that Brian O'Connor was good for is, you know, the physical comedy. He's very, he's almost like a real life cartoon character in some ways. And very, very funny ending on my spleen. That line used to crack me up when I was a kid. That was a nice little bit for Mr. Conductor there, just, you know, swatting uh, the thief's hand off of Prince Michael. Yeah, he's just such an afterthought in this episode. He really Uh, is. I do like Dee Dee's pajamas. I think all of the Duke Lutz from the band have nice pajamas. And Mr. C even has them now. Yeah, his are nice too. Mm. Just nice. Hers have a little train on the, on the front. Oh yeah, is that correct? Little little locomotive. I think so. It's it's kind of hard. It's for a little me hard to tell. Exactly, it's kind of hard for me to tell. Uh, now this, I, I know I've said this about the other two, and I've probably said this in each of the uh, uh, specials. This 
probably is one of my favorite performances of the Jukebox Puppet Band, this uh, Mrs. Murphy's Chowder. It's There's just something about it. Uh, the little... Uh, oh, the, the brightly colored versions of the Jukebox Band. It's... It's funny. I don't. It's it's very clever, and it, it's a nice chance for Flexitune to show off their to flex uh, their their puppeteering muscles, uh, if you will. Um, the just they seem to have a lot of fun with some different techniques that they didn't really get to use very often in the series. And when you think about it, this is their big finale. This you know because this is the last Jukebox song that that we would ever see they didn't show up at all in mr conductor's thomas tales or magic railroad and so mrs murphy's chowder is the song they end on and uh in my personal opinion i know that it's a goofy song but i think they go out with quite a bang here myself i agree a literal bang with the cannon (laughs) i was just about to say yes with a, a literal cannon Tito fires himself out of a cannon. <laughs> Tito's little ooh la la. This really does feel cinematic in a way, because, I mean, here we have a music video that is the preface to a chase. I mean, ending um, en- ending the final episode of um, Shining Temptation on a Chase. Now, as we've said, in a sense, each of the one-hour specials has a chase, except for second chances. Uh, but I think, you know, the recurring theme of chases throughout these specials... Uh, it was a really interesting choice, you know, I mean, obviously how many different things can you do with a show based around railways? But, um, you know, I, I think of the chases, uh, this is one of the more exciting ones because we see a bunch of different modes of transportation. We have a car, a motorcycle, and just now Stacy and Mr. King are climbing into a diesel. And just like that, they're able to drive it and, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, hey, one's a station master, one's the superintendent of the railway. It, it's totally fine for them to just commandeer a diesel. I do like the queen and steamer throwing things at the um, at the two thieves. There's another. Thanks, Mr. Conductor, for your help. (laughs) Thanks for the thumbs up. And this this bit where she's simultaneously uh, the queen, she's simultaneously thumping steamer over the head for, quote unquote, kidnapping her, but also throwing things at the thieves. It's just amusing. (laughs) That was a close call. Yeah, and again, I mean, definitely the the largest area covered in any Johnny Time episode here. We're just going all over the place. Oh, by far, yes. Um... Yeah, uh, these chase scenes uh, were taped. Actually, I, I, a lot of this was taped in Tottenham, but this was uh, taped north of Tottenham on Seventh Line Road near Beaton. And uh, yeah, it doesn't look like it, but it's mostly one road with a few turns. But uh, of course, they use some camera magic to make it look like different roads. Right. But uh And this was intense. You know, when I was a kid, I was really hoping that Steamer and the Queen would get over the tracks before the diesel. So, you know, I mean, obviously, of course, of course they did. 
but you know if if you're if you're the the target audience i should say this is a really intense scene and i love that music when the thieves know that they're caught uh that was great so really well done chase scene here So this is kind of uh, ramping down. Um, the episode is winding up, I should should say. And so, um, it's been interesting to say the least. Uh, I think that uh, again, as much as I thought that it would have been nice to end it with uh, the previous episode, this this ending that they have here with the queen and having everyone in town get a picture together. It was it was a really nice cap to uh, the series of specials, but also the series as a whole. It's uh, it's it's just sad that it's the last episode. You know, I mean, obviously, it would the the set itself would come back for Mister Conductor's Thomas Tales, but uh, no one aside from Stacy would. I mean, obviously, Billy and Mister Conductor, but they would be played by different actors. So really, this scene is the final farewell to Shining Time Station. There's Mr. Conductor again. <laughs> yes. And there's a moment here at the very end where it feels like Mr. Conductor and JB King, or where JB King knows that Mr. Conductor is next to him. Right there. But he doesn't react to him at all. Which would, he would have otherwise. Right. So that's the end of Queen for a Day and uh, the end of the one hour specials and really the end of Shining Time Station. Um, as I said, it really wouldn't come back aside from the set pieces and, you know, Stacy in Magic Railroad. Um, and obviously, you know, we'll come back and do other Shining Time uh, episodes on occasion when, when we feel that we should. But uh, in general, uh, what do you think of the four one-hour specials that we've done over the last two months? Oh, they were, yeah, they were good. Um, it was nice to revisit them and, uh, definitely, uh, of their time yes. and, uh, and yet also timeless because of, uh, because of Shining Time State, the nature of Shining Time Station was so, you know, kind of, uh, was so timeless. Um, but if I had to rank them, it, uh, I would say, um, one of the family is my favorite, probably followed by, um, probably followed by uh, this followed by once upon a time followed by second chances uh, i've scored completely different to you uh my favorite is second chances um followed closely by queen for a day and then once upon a time and then one of the family um and now I, I score them that way, but really they're all great episodes. And in all honesty, one of the, uh, Once Upon a Time and Queen for a Day are almost tied. I think just because of this, this one being the last episode ranked just slightly higher in the moment. Uh, but otherwise, I, I'd say they're pretty much on par with each other. And I do like one of the family. I just, I haven't seen it as much. And uh, I, I have more nostalgia for the other three but it's it, they're all good episodes i think yeah uh, absolutely and it was a great way to to send off the series yes so uh before we go i just want to thank everyone for sticking with us uh 
through uh, the last couple of months and, uh, you know, doing uh, the Shining Time Station one hour specials on the year of their 25th anniversary. It's crazy to think that as of this December, it'll be 25 years since Shining Time Station went off the air. So, uh, uh, but thank you very much for listening. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, you can, you can find us on Twitter at talking Thomas one, facebook.com slash talking Thomas pod. And our home of course is anchor. Um, but most of our uh, listeners out there, you listen to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, and many other podcast platforms. And we thank you for continuing to listen. We'll, uh, be starting our season three Thomas commentary soon. Um, a few more Shiny Time Station episodes in the works here before the year is out. And, uh, and then uh, we'll continue with our Railway Series book reviews and then some other fun things along the way.